Take your Bibles, please, and turn them to Nehemiah chapter 13. If you're our guest this morning, and maybe you have an app that you follow along in the Bible with, that's fine. In fact, if you go to the Bible app by Uversion and click events, you should see a link to the notes for today's sermon. Um, that doesn't mean you just go there, look at those, and, you know, excuse yourself. I'm good. Got the notes. So I don't give you everything that way, but there's some notes there if you want to follow along. Nehemiah 13, it's before the Psalms and uh, before Job, it's right there in the, toward the middle of the Bible, front part. What a blessing to be gathered together today. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes we find ourselves, I find myself, myself rather, right back where I don't want to be. I get caught in a cycle. Anybody else ever get caught in a cycle? If we're not careful, and sometimes when we think we are being careful, we can get caught in the same traps. Now, this can apply to our eating. I'm not eating any more hot dogs. Is that just me? So really, we had a birthday party yesterday for our shepherd who turned five. Hard to believe we have a, our youngest is now five, but... Um, had a birthday party for him, and we had just, you know, grilling out some burgers and dogs, and I'm usually, I'm the hot dog king. I mean, I can put away some hot dogs. You don't need to know that about your pastor, but it's true. It's confession. It's good for the soul. But uh, at, through a series of unfortunate events, um, I found myself over the course of a week um, eating lunch with the kids that something, and I had ordered a hot dog, and as I was taking that last bite, I thought, that's the third hot dog I've had this week. That's not very good adulting. I need to, uh, I believe I'm caught in a cycle here. I was, and so uh, I resisted yesterday, even after grilling. I'm pretty proud of myself. Don't worry, I blew it on chocolate cake later. But anyway, we get caught in these cycles, right, of unhealthy habits. We try to break them, and then we just, it, it takes something jarring sometimes to get us to break the habit. A lack of physical activity, immediate consumption, all of these things, these are normal problems that all of the world, regardless of religious affiliation, or relationship with God deal with cycles. But what I'm talking about this morning we're going to see is this cycle that God's people seem to get into, entangled in sin that so easily stunts their spiritual growth and causes them to invite uh, the disciplining hand of God, certainly, uh, Nehemiah will even say, you're inviting the wrath of God. That's not language we use today much, but it's serious nonetheless. Maybe you can relate to Jonathan McReynolds' song that he has called Cycles. His verse says, didn't I conquer this last year? Tell me what I missed because I fear that it's coming back up again. Must be something I ate, some song some show, some hate. You see, the devil, he learns from your mistakes, even if you don't. That's how he keeps you in cycles. Cycles. Keep running the same treadmill. God does something when this happens. God's people need to do something when this happens. And we're going to see that full unfold for us this morning in this final chapter of Nehemiah. That's where we are. We're wrapping up the study today in Nehemiah. It's been quite a journey. I've enjoyed it. There's so much stuff that came up in my study that couldn't come out in the sermon. So many great um, thinkers have spent a lot of time studying the book of Nehemiah. I felt like it's been a pretty short 
journey from reading the text to application, even though this happened some 400 years before Christ. Some of what we'll see today is going to sound eerily familiar. The people will struggle, Nehemiah will confront them and point them back to God, and God will be merciful in the way he deals with his people. But some things are going to hit a little different today. Nehemiah is now in his 70s. How many of you are wondering, is, can God use me? Yes, God can use you. I'm feeling older than I used to feel. Yes, God can still use you. Nehemiah is in his 70s and is going to have to make some very strong and public stands for God. You're going to experience some aha moments in the text today as you see some parallels to Christ begin to jump out in ways that I don't know that they have in other chapters. But uh, as we get there this morning, let me give you the background. I want you to look with me at verse 6. It's an odd place to start, but it, it'll make sense if you'll hang with me for a moment. Chapter 13, verse 6. I've got it on the screen for you. Let me read it to you from my Bible. While this was taking place, well, what was taking place? I'll get there in a moment. You need to know that there's something that, Nehemiah, that chapter 13 starts with that Nehemiah wasn't there for. Look at verse 6. I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king. Nehemiah's first term in office as governor lasted for about 12 years, according to chapter 5. Then he goes back to the palace to report to the king. He's back for about a year. Things were really nice when he left Jerusalem, going the right direction. And then he comes back, oh my, things have spiraled a bit. The situation has deteriorated dramatically. Parents, can anybody connect to that? Like you left, everything was good. Maybe you have young kids and you're like, mama's going to go in this room and take one phone call. I'll be right back. And you get through the phone call, you come back and you're like, what happened here? Did a tornado and a hurricane meet together, right? Or maybe parents of older teens, you say, we're just going around the corner. We'll be back. Don't burn the house down. And that's literally the only instruction they follow. Like the house is not on fire when you get back, but wow, did they take care of some other things, yeah? Nobody? Okay. Well, uh, work. Maybe you're in charge or the director and, and, and you, you've got some staff that you report to or a team project. You're just a team member. You get all of your stuff done, everything lined up. You're like, okay, I'm going on vacation. When I come back and you leave and everything's great and then you come back and you're like, what? Did y'all do anything? Well, anyway, Nehemiah has left and he's come back and things had deteriorated. It wasn't a coup per se, but people weren't living up to the vows that they had made. The people became disobedient to God's word. How about the team Nehemiah left in task? It didn't all depend on Nehemiah. He left leaders in place. One writer wrote and said, it's possible that the people of God got the leadership team they deserved because they were so itching to get back to the previous ways. They let the revival become a memory instead of a living reality, and Nehemiah acts decisively and immediately as he uncovers the situation. The whole study in Nehemiah has come up under the header of restoration. The bait and switch of Nehemiah is you start reading it and you think, ah, this is about a wall. This is good project management training for my uh, construction team. They're going to build a wall. They do it in 50-some days. It's pretty awesome. 
Then the switch happens and you realize this is about a restoration of people. Then you get to the final chapter and you recognize it's not even about that. This is about the restoration of the supremacy of God in worship. God matters. God's ways matters. And when we try to do things our way instead of God's way, we get in trouble. Pretty simple. That's an... Uh, an explanation that I think even the youngest in the room can understand. So what exactly happened while he was gone, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. The first thing I would have you to write down, I've tried to write these points this morning in a way that they fit Nehemiah's instruction to the people, and there's a kind of a, right, you see the pastor wink happening? Wink! There's a wink for us because they apply to us today this way too. Here we go, the first one. Remember, we take care of the temple. Pastor, there's no temple today. I'll I'll come back to that. We take care of the temple. So if we look in the first section here, let's look at verses 4 and 5. This seems so out of order, but trust me, this is the way the narrative works. 4 and 5. Now before this, that's the this we talked about earlier, while he was away, Eliashib the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house and our God who was related to Tobiah. Now if you've been with me through this study, you get that name's popped up and you're going, no, wait a minute. Wasn't he like on the, that's, Tobiah's not a good guy, right? That's right, he's not, good. You're, you're tracking with me. Tobiah was one of the enemies. Remember, it was Sanballat and Tobiah and some other folks they recruited that caused all kinds of heartache for Nehemiah. So here we see uh, Eliash of the priest, who's related to Tobiah, verse five, prepared for Tobiah, a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, the tithes, the grain, the wine, the oil, which they were given by commandment to the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the contribution for the priests. So these guys, somebody signed off on this. Nehemiah says, I'll be back before too long to check on things. Y'all keep it in the road, right? It's on, everything's working, just keep doing what we're doing. He says, okay, waves by, goes down the road. And one of the elders that Sarah says, I've got an idea. You know, we could start another revenue stream if we sublet Sally's office to the pagans that meet down the street, right, where we keep the money and the financial records. Let's just, let's just sublet Pal- Sally's office to that. And somebody signed off on it. Yeah, well, that sounds good to me. I mean, you know, we use extra money. I don't know. I, well, I don't even know where pragmatism comes in here. I don't know what the motivation was. I do know this. It was compromise, and it was costly. They knew better. They were convicted by God's word. You see, when God's word was read to them, Nehemiah wasn't there for this, but somebody was, one other elder, or somebody was scratching their heads going, hey, guys, um, how did we get to this decision? This doesn't match this. In fact, and they read a passage from Deuteronomy, and, and, and after they read that passage in, in Nehemiah 13, verse 3, the Bible says, as soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. So they were like, wait a minute, we've messed up. We, we've, got to, we, we've, got to, we've got to deal with this. And so they start trying to deal with this, but Nehemiah finds out about it, and here's what's going on. What I'm going to try to do quickly this morning to hasten for time's sake so we can get to some application that I think helps us today as I want to show you like the failure, the result of it as we move through this chapter, and kind of how Nehemiah dealt with it. I think there's some instruction. You'll get ahead of me a little bit because you'll be going, ah, 
I can, I can do some Nehemiah kind of stuff in my own life there. Yeah, don't get too far ahead of me, though. Here's the failure. They, they defiled the house of God because they made decisions that weren't based out of God's word. They had some bright ideas for, for letting some things into the house of God that didn't belong. They broke God's command. They compromised with the enemy, and they put unholy contents in a place designed for holy things. The result Uh, Israel had refused to be ruled by Yahweh, and so now an Ammonite thug was ruling them from the temple. Not good. Because Israel had refused to separate itself and idolaters from idolaters in the land, they had mixed in idolatrous worship, and a strong man had taken hold. Now, some of you are already there in some New Testament illustration, but let's see how Nehemiah gets and deals with this. In verses 8 and 9, Nehemiah says, I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Now, that's a breakup right there. Like he's throwing it out. That, you know that would have been YouTube if it had been possible. That, he's throwing out all the stuff. And I'm wondering, like, if somebody wise by, it's like, what is going on at the temple? Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God, the grain offering, and the frankincense. Wow. The, the instruction was to take care of the temple to take care of what's God's and to make sure that the things that are supposed to be in the temple are what's in the temple and the things that are not supposed to be in the temple get evicted from the temple. Spoiler alert, I gotta go there. It's in the, later in the notes, but spoiler alert, you're, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we invite stuff into our life that doesn't belong there, we have spiritual commands from the Old and New Testament to evict those things that don't belong kick them out because if you don't they're going to put a sleeper in there a little sofa in there a little television in there they're going to take up residency in your life you're like what kind of things is he talking about worldviews that are inconsistent incompatible with god's word selfishness greed pride lust all of these things love to decorate the inside of our minds and our temple And I'm giving you orders this morning from on high. It's time to serve eviction on them and do business with God. Number two, remember, we are to be faithful. Nehemiah moves on. I love um, this because, man, like, have you ever had one of those weeks where you you just deal with one thing? You're like, okay, all right, (laughs) I'm sorry. Okay, something happened. We're going to deal with it. And then before you can even, like you'd not even turn, you've got three more things hitting you. Can anybody relate? Have you ha- if you've had it this week, we'll have prayer, okay? But uh, you, you deal with one thing, and before you can go, thank you, Lord, you get the, and then you go, this is wrong. What's up with this? Right? You hardly even get to say, thank you, Lord. Look what he says in verses 10 through 13, I also found out. He's going to say that a couple times. You're going to just, your heart's going to break for Nehemiah. It just keeps kind of spiraling. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. Somebody's stealing the money and the food. Like, people were faithful and giving and generous. And like we talk about faithful, generous, and at times sacrificial. All that was happening, but it's not going where it needs to go. Somebody's being selfish. Somebody stopped giving, and then the, what was given is not being stewarded well. What does he do? Verse 11. I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all of Judah brought it, and I'll just, for time's sake, they fix it. Nehemiah dealt with it. What's the problem? 
They had stopped giving, and what had been giving, they weren't using right. Well, think about it. The place where they were stored it, they had moved it somewhere else so that Tobiah could have a house. Give me a break. You can't invite wicked things into your life without pushing out things that belong to God. Something's got to give. There's only so much space on the plate. And when we willingly open the door and fling open the windows of our soul to everything that society and culture and this corrupt age has to offer, something suffers. And it's you. And it cripples you from being able to walk in obedience to God. This is not terribly difficult this morning, but it is sometimes difficult to deal with because we get lazy and comfortable. Nehemiah dealt with it fast. They had stopped giving. The workers had to leave. The Levites had to go back to work their own fields so they could have food to eat, which meant they weren't there and the duties of the temple weren't happening. The house of God was being neglected. He reminded them. Remember, they said, do you remember at the end of chapter 10 it was, they all like said together, we will not neglect. I don't know why I'm using that voice. That's just how they sounded together. We will not neglect the house of God. Amen. And they probably had little like, I'm not a neglector pins they put on. Little Sunday school pins. They all got excited. They did banners, did a little social media campaign. Not us. And just a matter of time. And somebody had a bright idea that resulted in selfishness and they invited wicked things in where holy things should have been and they had lost their edge. What's the solution? He fixes it. He goes and collects what needs to be collected and, and he puts trustworthy people in place to superintend over the blessing. I want you to look at this little, he says this a few times throughout the passage. In verse 14 of chapter 13, he says, Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. Do you see that in verse 14? Hey, here's what he's saying. Lord, I'm trying to do what's right. I want to serve you. I want to do your work your way so that you get all the glory in spite of what's going on around me. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine that I had the privilege of spending some time with earlier this week. And he said, where are you? And I love that because expositors ask questions like that. They don't say, hey, what you talking about Sunday? They say, where are you? They want to know where you are in the text. This preacher nerd with me for a minute. So uh, I love that. And I told him I was in Nehemiah. He said, oh, have you gotten to the part where he's like, God, these people are a bunch of losers, but I'm trying to do right. I'm like, yeah, but I'm... I'm <laughs> I don't think that's exactly what he's saying, but like, I don't want y'all to get that t-shirt, right? That's not where we're going, but he's essentially the New Testament principle. What is he doing here? He wants to show up at the judgment and God say, well done, well done. You didn't get distracted. You stayed the course. Paul would say, I fought a good fight. I finished the course that you laid out to me. The writer of Hebrews, run the race that is set before us. I'm gonna run. Regardless of what's happening, I'm gonna run. So take care of the temple the way God tells us to. Be faithful with your commitments to God. Number three, remember, we work differently. There are a lot of things I could have said here, but I, I feel like I'll just use that for application's sake. We work differently. You say, okay, what's this about? 
Do you remember back in chapter 10 where we talked about they made a covenant to keep the covenant? Like we were like, man, they're really serious about this. They've made a commitment. They've gone, they've gone public to make a commitment to keep the covenant. Wow. A- and they highlighted areas they were struggling in. Do you remember what they were? They were faithfulness in, in giving and generosity. It just kind of showed up with that. They, they were, um, um, let's see, what was another one here? Oh, yeah, they were profaning the Sabbath. They were struggling with that, so they recognized they didn't make a, a big covenant for that. Well, that's what they're struggling with here again. He says, look, you're working in verses 15 through 22. I won't, I'm going to ask you to read that for homework so we can move on for time's sake. But in verses 15 through 22, here's what's happening. They're buying and selling and in full-blown business-as-usual mode on the Sabbath. And they knew better. Like, this is not the first time they're hearing this rule. Any of you struggle with, uh, with obedience sometime to a rule or or maybe your kids do, or maybe, let's be honest, we do as adults. It's usually not the first time we're hearing a rule. Like, it's not a new rule. We're just struggling because we want to do something our way, and we don't want to do it that way. They were working and buying and selling on the Sabbath. They knew better. God's law had always been clear, but greed and selfishness had crept back in. Pragmatism gets back in the driver's seat. Hey, everybody's doing it. It's a way we can get ahead. But in verse 17, I don't have it on the screen, I don't think, but if you'll look at verse 17 in your Bibles, Nehemiah categorizes this and says, Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? When your grandparents did this, it brought disaster to the people of God. We're in a cycle that is keeping us out of God's favor. We are stirring up more wrath by deliberately disobeying God just to fatten our wallets. They were so concerned about their, do you remember this, standard of living that it was impacting their standard of giving and their faithfulness to God. Nehemiah, what did he do? He shut the doors of the city. He cut off the supply line. We saw that bridge to Crimea bombed this past week in the conflict with Russia and Ukraine. It was an uh, an integral supply line for Russian troops. It affected them and Russia retaliated in a big way. He, Nehemiah, is cutting off the supply line. I'm going to tell you something. If you're struggling in an area that you're doing business in a way you shouldn't do business, and I don't just mean buying and selling. I mean if you are consuming something that you shouldn't be consuming and it is leading to addictive tendencies and taking you away from Christ, cut it off. Shut the doors. I can't do it by myself. Do me a favor, vicariously for a moment. Now, we're not a church that gets up and slaps each other on the back and all that kind of. Talk to your neighbor and say, I'm not asking you to do that. Would you do a favor, though? Just if you're able to physically, turn your head to the left a little bit, to the right a little bit. Look, you're not alone. You have brothers and sisters beside you who will hold your hand. They will hold your head if you're that weak. And they will hold you accountable. You know why? Because we need it, too. In areas of our life. But Nehemiah cut off the supply line. He shut the doors. No access to trading. Guess what? Those traders camped out overnight outside the doors. Just in case somebody wanted to cheat day. Just in case somebody wanted to compromise. 
But in Genesis 4, 7, I was reminded of this as I was studying. The Bible tells us in the earliest days, sin can crouch. You shut a door, sin can still crouch right outside the door, waiting to pounce. You've got to rule over it. We've got to be faithful in the way that we work and deal with one another. We've got to uh, be faithful with our commitments. We've got to take care of the temple, and we work differently. This sounds legalistic if you're not careful. Nehemiah is saying, you're not going to do this. You're going to do it God's way. It wasn't legalism that was happening. The Sabbath was set apart so that the people could know God more fully. That's why it was set apart that way. The Sabbath was made for man to know God, not the man made for the Sabbath. Jesus addressed that. We talked about that the other week. Greed had eroded godly business practice and pressure from pagan traders was making it difficult for them to worship God. The last part of 22, he says that phrase again, remember me for this God and show mercy for me according to your steadfast love. Wow. Lord, I'm trying to do right. I want to do right. I want to do your work your way so that you get all the glory. Lord, I've told him to take care of the temple the way you said to. I've told him to be faithful with your commitments. I've told him to work and rest the way you told us to. Work hard and rest well and do it in a way that points to God. Lastly this morning, Lord, I I need to remind them we're a people of purity. We're a people of purity. Verses 23 through 29, that's your last big point this morning. You may take some other additional notes in the text, but that's your last major header this morning. We are a people of purity. Remember those areas they were struggling with initially? They were struggling with keeping the covenant in their giving, they were struggling with their faithfulness to the Sabbath, and they were struggling as they were marrying with pagans outside the city, outside the nations. Well, guess what? (laughs) In those days, verse 23, also, it just keeps getting worse. (laughs) Also, I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Now, give me just a moment, and let me touch a few of these texts, because I think it's important for us, and you'll see a parallel to today rather quickly. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. He goes on through the rest of this to talk about, hey, didn't we learn from Solomon, who was one of the wisest that ever lived, and how much marrying, uh, intermarrying cost him and marrying pagan cultures? I mean, it was, it was counted sin to him. It was sinful. It, it resulted in turmoil for the people. We should know better. We should do better. And, and, and Nehemiah is going to deal with it swiftly in a moment. But, but I want you to notice what's going on. They had compromised on something very intimate and close to God's heart. They were marrying into pagan and enemy tribes. We've dealt with this before. But they were so fast to adopt pagan ways and the languages of others that they lost the language of the scriptures. Hebrew was the language of the scriptures. They, they, their kids didn't know how to listen to the Bible, but they could quote everything culture was saying. Is anybody with me? We have kids in churches today. I don't want to hit too close to home, but we have kids in churches today that are fluent in culture, but, but struggling to understand the language of Scripture, and it has nothing to do with it being a King James Version or this version or that version. It has everything to do with the fact that it's not 
the language of the home. At the end of Joshua, this is not in my notes, give me just a moment, I don't want to shoot at this rabbit too much, but at the end of Joshua, Joshua compels the people and says, we're going to go with God. They're like, yeah, we will. He calls them to count on that. As for me and my house, we're going to go with the Lord. The people are like, yeah, we're with you, man. In Joshua chapter number, or Judges rather, chapter number two, I believe it's verse 10. The Bible records this passage where it says, And there arose a generation after them, Joshua and the elders, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done. Now, we all show up that way. So how do they grow up that way? Well, they grew up that way because the culture behind them, ahead of them, the generation ahead of them lost the language and lost the relationship. They were compromising on something that God had been very clear on. The result, they were losing their language. This is not about any linguistic elitism or concern for national identity. It was to be able to speak and hear and understand Hebrew so they could understand the word of God. Nehemiah says, you've, you've desecrated the priesthood because of this. You've desecrated the covenant because of this. And you've polluted the Levites because of this. This was serious business. Um, Kidner says it this way. A single generation's compromise could undo the work of centuries. A single generation's compromise could undo the work of centuries. We're seeing that play out right now where people have lost their ever-loving minds on what true and biology is. And that words mean things. What was the solution? What did Nehemiah do? Nehemiah confronted them in verse 25. Now, can I just say, of all the life verses to have, Nehemiah 13.25 is probably not one for a t-shirt. Look at what he did. I confronted them. I cursed them, I beat some of them, and pulled out their hair. I've got some siblings in the room saying, the pastor spoke to me this morning. I've got my life verse for family life now. I know at least one mama in the room who's going, hmm, so that's biblical, huh? No, 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 no. All right, give me just a moment. Let's unpack what it is and what it isn't. Nehemiah's not running around like the Tasmanian devil on Bugs Bunny, you know, tearing everything and everybody up. That's not what's happening. So the cursing, he's not using expletives. He's using wholesome talk. He's calling the curses of the covenant that they sign. The pulling out or the beating some of them, you say he shouldn't have done that. The law would have allowed for stoning. It was an act of mercy that he did what he did. Different age, different dispensation. We're going, uh, uh, this is not permission for you to beat somebody you disagree with. This was in the context of what was happening in front to demonstrate the violation for the covenant. Call for stoning. He's exercising mercy. Okay, preacher, I'm with you for there. Now, now tell me about this pulling out of hair because you, like, what's going on? Is this like, what's going on? Here's what's going on. The historians tell us this is a public shaming that was a normal thing in many of this shame and honor culture. That's not a culture we know in the West. It's a culture that's very well known 
in the east. He's not lost control in rage. He is under control, bringing the prescribed punishments to bear. A beating is less than a stoning. When he pulled out their hair, he was just not grabbing it at random. It's a public shaming ritual. They were disciplined as an example to others to show we don't do this. There are consequences to our actions. What's the parallel today? I'm conscious of the time. Listen, that looks crazy for us. Like we look back at that, we're like, what? Some of you are going to leave today. And what did the pastor talk about? I'm not sure, but I found a verse today about beating people and pulling out their hair, right? I got it. I'm, Darren, I'm fully aware of that. I get it. What, what's the deal today? You know what, what our version of this in 2022 is? Church discipline. It looks foreign today. It's rarely practiced today. Oh, that's legalism. No, it, it's not when it's done biblically. When you have someone who constantly errs and is causing division within the church, you deal with it one-on-one if you can, two-on-one if you can. Before the elders, if they'll respond and if they don't respond, there are consequences to their actions. And it's not beating, it's not pulling out hair, it's excommunicating from the church for the good of the body and the sake of the gospel and the hope of their reconciliation. Well, I don't like that. We're not taking a vote. It looks far and it feels awful. I'm not sure I'd be on board for that. Then I'll help you work through that. By the way, I'm not getting, we don't have an issue this morning I'm dealing with, but I'm just saying, that seems foreign today. This seems foreign to us, but sometimes there's some hard things that need to be dealt with. Nehemiah didn't step back in in his 70s to an easy thing to deal with. He thought, I'm gonna go away, go serve the king for a year, come back, check on you guys. He comes back, go like, what? And this happened, and also this happened. He's got to call them to account. Can, I'm not gonna put it on the screen for time's sake, but the opening passage that Jeremy read were the final verses of Nehemiah. When you go back and read them, you think about all that he dealt with And the final prayer that he prays, he doesn't say anything about building a wall or mobilizing a people or getting a people together. You know what Nehemiah's chief celebration is before the Lord? He is thankful that he has restored the worship of God in the city of God. These people repent. They respond to Nehemiah's instruction. Although the reconstruction of the wall was what most of us know Nehemiah for, when he recounts his greatest act, it's that God, Yahweh, is worshipped on his terms. That's God's goal for all of us. For the Christian, it's that we would worship the Lord in spirit and truth as the Bible teaches us to and commands us to. You don't have to figure this out on your own. There's a, there's a, a revelation from God on how he likes to be worshipped. For those of you outside of the Christian faith, you like Christians, you, you, you may even like Grace Covenant Church, God, God's goal for you is the same, that you would worship the Lord on his terms. You need to repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and come to him as the Savior that he is and you as the sinner in need of a Savior. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, reminded some young cadets one time of this. It's the nature of a fire to go out. You must keep it stirred and fed and the ashes removed to keep it going. You may have experienced revival sometime in your life. You may have a high moment sometime in your life, but the further away from that moment you get by proximity, the more energy it takes in your spiritual disciplines to maintain 
that work. This is normal Christian living. Iron sharpening iron so that we might be effective witnesses for the Lord. This week, because I'm out of time this morning, I'll record a little thing on some things I didn't get to put in the sermon. I think they're helpful to you. There's some connections to Jesus that are absolutely incredible. Nehemiah was a great leader, but Nehemiah wasn't Jesus. Nehemiah was not the Messiah. Even though he led a great charge and brought the people back and, and worship is restored, it's only restored for a season. Nehemiah and Ezra weren't counted as failures because they were faithful to God. They had no control over the people's direct actions. They were faithful. As Julia comes to the piano this morning, as we're about to have a moment to respond, I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you find yourself in persistent cycles? Like constantly going through the same junk all the time. And as much as we'd like to blame that on other people, if we took five minutes to turn the phone off and put it away and just got still before the Lord, maybe even looked in a mirror, we'd see who the real problem is. We're making bad choices. We're choosing to do things for one reason or another against what God has prescribed and commanded for our lives. Can I say something to you this morning? If you are struggling against sin in those cycles, you ought to be encouraged. Did you just say if I'm struggling against sin, I ought to be encouraged? Yes, because if you're struggling against sin, you ought to be encouraged that God is convicting you and God's not giving you over to sin, that it bothers you and you want to deal with it. You've got friends that'll help you walk in victory. If you'll let us, we'll help you and hold you accountable. If you this morning are not struggling so much with the sin, you could care less about it. You're just tired of getting caught and, and, and tired of it bothering everybody else. You should be concerned, even worried about your own soul today. Because if sin doesn't bother you, I've got to remind you, it bothers the judge for whom one day you will stand before and give an account. And he's made a way for you to stand forgiven through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. God will not let you rebel forever. Today, God does not dwell in buildings made by men's hands. We, the scripture says, are the temple that God's spirit dwells in. Have you, has sin taken up residency in your temple? Take some advice from Nehemiah this morning. Shut the door on it. Cut it out. Evict it. It's time for it to go. Let me close with this charge before we pray. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your temple, your body. It's time to do business with God. Let's pray.
Lord, we recognize that Christ alone is our hope this morning. And you came to break those chains that keep us in those cycles, Lord. You came to break the chains and to restore us to true worship in our lives. You, you came to restore faithfulness in our lives. You've given us everything we need to restore a rhythm of work and rest that will point others to you by the way we do life. God, you've come even this morning to remind us that Christ alone is the one that restores purity in our lives. Lord, we want to live in such a way that others watch us and see you. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Restore unto us the priority of true worship this morning. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. Let's stand together and join our voices in song.